Well, uh, the title of my message today is uh, The Power of, Power of Pentecost, and um, today uh, is, uh, is Pentecost Sunday, one of the key dates in uh, the Christian calendar. I guess most of us are quite aware of, um, of uh, what Christmas is and what Christmas uh, commemorates. Uh, it's uh, a reminder of uh, the birth of Christ, the, the the, the, the God of creation, the, 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 the all-sufficient one um, who came and took up residence in uh, a woman's womb and uh, was born into this world, the creator becoming the created, the, the infinite one uh, condensed down into the finite. Remarkable, remarkable um, uh, story that Christmas is. And then I guess we're all familiar with Easter, aren't we? Um, and what Easter commemorates, the death and the resurrection of... Um, I shouldn't have looked down at my notes there about what, Jesus, uh, what Easter commemorates. You're thinking, if he doesn't know what Easter commemorates, there's probably something really drastically wrong with him. He's a preacher. He should know what Easter represents. It represents the death and resurrection of Christ. Um, God demonstrated strutting his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, um, Christ died for us. But not only did he die for us, but he triumphed over death and uh, reigns victorious. And so um, we have a saviour who is alive because of Easter. That's the, that's the central story of Easter. Yeah, when it comes to uh, Pentecost, um, many Christians are uh, quite unsure as to what Pentecost is, is all about. And if anything, um, mentioning the word Pentecost um, can cause a little bit of anxiety for some people because um, this word Pentecost can be associated uh, with the word Pentecostals. Apologies to all of you who have been damaged by Pentecostals. Okay. Um, Pentecostals are those weird Christians who often speak in tongues. Um, who like to raise their hands when they worship, like those Anglicans at the back there today. Um, those Pentecostals who can get uh, a little bit enthusiastic and passionate about God. Now, did you know the word entheos um, is, is the word enthusiasm? And uh, this word enthusiasm or entheos came about because um, the world was observing the church and they were trying to find a word. There was no word that existed to kind of, uh, uh, they'd never seen this kind of life and community, this, this vibrancy they'd never witnessed before. And so they created this word entheos, meaning in God. That's what the word enthusiasm means. It's about the excitement of knowing a God who is alive. And these Pentecostals um, have the audacity to believe that the gifts of the Spirit, such as prophecy and healings, have not ceased, but they are for today. And there are currently about 500 million um, people who identify as being Pentecostal or what is also called charismatic Christians in the world today. And out of that 500 million um, Pentecostals, there's a reasonable portion of those Pentecostals and Charismatics in this place today. Yep. 
So welcome. <laughs> and those who, who would not define themselves within that category, we're sorry, okay? <laughs> we apologise for who we are. But um, you know what? Um, uh, Pentecostals don't have exclusive rights to the day of Pentecost. In the Old Testament, um, Pentecost was a, a Jewish feast or a Jewish festival uh, called the Feast of Weeks, which was a celebration of, uh, of the harvest, of the, of the grain harvest. And Jews uh, gathered together annually to thank God for God's provision of, um, of, of wheat and of, and of grain. And the Feast of Weeks occurred um, 50 days after the Passover uh, uh, feast had been celebrated. And Pentecost is the Greek uh, name for the Feast of Weeks because the word Pentecost is a Greek word meaning simply means 50. 50 days uh, at the end of the end. Of, um, of Passover. And so the day of Pentecost, which we read of in the book of Acts in the New Testament, occurred 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus. And so for Christians, um, uh, a Pentecost commemorates or celebrates two particular things. Firstly, it celebrates the birth of the church. Um, today, nearly 2,000 years ago, God brought the church into being. So today is our birthday. Hip, hip, hooray. Okay? And so, um, what was I going to say? I just want to know where my present is, that's all. But actually, it was Royce's 90th birthday during the week. What a... And he looks fantastic for 90. There's an inspiration. Royce and Lola are such an inspiration. What a beautiful, beautiful couple. Um, And so Pentecost is a commemoration of the birth of the church. But it also um, commemorates God's sending of the Holy Spirit. And last Sunday, um, we uh, learned that during um, Old Testament times, God lived in a tent called a tabernacle. And then when God moved on from the tabernacle, God um, took up residence in a temple in Jerusalem. If you weren't here last week, can I encourage you to have a listen to the, the, the podcast, which is available on our website. The glorious message of the gospel, which I tried to communicate last week, is that the Holy Spirit, God's divine presence, no longer dwells in a tent Or in a temple. God does not live in a temple made with human hands, it says in Acts 7:48. But the Holy Spirit, the divine presence, now lives within us. It's it's flipping awesome. It's absolutely brilliant. And uh, here are some um, some scriptures. 1 Corinthians 6:19. Don't you realize um, that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God. Romans 8, 9, God himself has taken up residence in your life. Galatians 2, 20, the anointed one lives his life through me. We live in union as one. Galatians 3, 14, and now God gives us the promise of the wonderful Holy Spirit who lives within us, 
when we believe in him. And Galatians 4, 6, because we are God's children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. And theologians call this the, the indwelling of the spirit. And I believe that this is a truth that we should visit regularly. We should remind ourselves constantly that we are God's temple. We are the dwelling place of God. Why don't you look at your neighbor and say to them, God, hey, God lives in you. You see, you and, and every, every Christian, we are a temple in whom God has made his home. Now, as I briefly mentioned um, last week, one of the reasons that the Spirit indwells us is to produce um, the fruit of the Spirit, the character of Christ. And the Holy Spirit in us enables us to increasingly become bearers of the image or the likeness of God. There's a Latin phrase called the imago Dei. The imago. We are made in the image and likeness of God. And what the indwelling of the Holy Spirit does is the Holy Spirit works within us. It produces within us a likeness or the likeness of Christ. We become more and more image bearers of the life of God. However, there also appears to be another dimension to the relationship between the Christian and the Holy Spirit. And that is not only does the Spirit indwell us, but the Holy Spirit, it infers within the Bible that the Holy Spirit also wants to come upon us in and on. The Holy Spirit in us, the Holy Spirit upon us. And this is what um, the Bible uh, calls the baptism of the Holy Spirit or being filled with the Spirit, the empowering or the infilling of the Spirit. And the Holy, the, 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 the Holy Spirit upon us enables us to be bearers of the mission and the ministry of God which in the Latin is called the Missio Dei. So the indwelling spirit of the spirit, the fruit of the spirit, which is produced in our lives, causes us to bear the image and likeness of God, the Imago Dei. But the Holy Spirit upon us enables us to fulfill the ministry or the mission of God, the Missio Dei. Is that clear? Okay, good. Now, central to the day of Pentecost is this idea that the Spirit of God has been given, has come upon us to empower Christians to effectively participate in the Missio Dei, that we have been invited by God to participate with God's mission on the, on the earth. We're going to look at where all of this began. Acts chapter 1 and verses 3 to 8. It says, one day, Jesus was eating with his disciples, and he gave them a command. Do not leave Jerusalem, he said. Wait for the gift my father promised. You have heard me talk about it. 
John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit and you will receive power. And that word there, power, is the Greek word dunamis, which means uh, 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 dynamic or where we get the word dynamite from. And so Jesus says, um, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, something explosive is going to be released and unleashed um, on your life. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Not when the Holy Spirit comes in you, but comes upon you. And there is a, a, a real argument from uh, John chapter 20, verses 19 through to 20, 21, to say that the disciples at this stage had already been born again, experienced the rebirth, that the Holy Spirit had already at this point come into them. It says that in, in John 20 that Jesus breathed upon the disciples and said, uh, it's in the, in the original Greek languages, receive here and now the Holy Spirit. Breathed on them and said, receive here and now. And so at that moment, there's probability that the disciples were born again. The Holy Spirit had indwelt them. But Jesus is talking about something different, the Holy Spirit coming upon the disciples. And he says, and when this Holy Spirit comes upon you, this is what will happen. Then you will tell people about me in Jerusalem. That would be the equivalent to our rosebud. And in all Judea, that would be equivalent to our kind of Melbourne, Victoria. And then Samaria, which is kind of like Australia. And you will even tell other people about me from one end of the earth to the other, and that's kind of Cambodia or Swaziland or the south of France. God, call me to the south of France. I pray. And Jesus says to the disciples, There's a job to do, but don't start the work that I've called you to until you've received the gift of the promised Holy Spirit. Don't move until you connect with the power source. Don't move until the power source arrives. And once he comes upon you, then you'll have all the resources that you will need to turn your community, your state, your nation, your world upside down. And so the disciples followed Jesus' instruction and they gathered in a place uh, for prayer and they waited and prayed for one day and nothing happened. And they waited and prayed for two days and nothing happened. And they waited and prayed for three days and four days and five days and six days and seven days and eight days and nine days. And after ten days of waiting and 10 days of prayer. Something happened just like Jesus said it would. And then in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, it begins to unpack or describe what took place. It says, When the day of Pentecost came, all the believers were gathered in one place, and suddenly a sound came from heaven. It was like a strong wind blowing. 
It filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw something that looked like fire in the shape of tongues. And the flames separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in languages that they had not known before. And the Spirit gave them the ability, gave them the capacity to do this. What does receiving this promised or this, um, this power of Pentecost mean? What does it look like? How did it begin to outwork itself on this, in this formative time within the early church? I'm pleased you asked because I'm going to give you the answer. <laughs> First of all, that the power of the, of the Spirit gives us capacity. Capacity. It's really important that we understand that Jesus, although he was divine, accomplished um, his ministry, that is the mission that God gave uh, gave to him for his life. He accomplished that through the power of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't Jesus in his own strength doing the work or fulfilling the Missio Dei. It was the Spirit coming upon him that accounted for Jesus' effectiveness in ministry. Do you get that? It's so important that we understand that Jesus did what he did was because he had the promise or the power of the Holy Spirit upon him. In Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, this is Jesus' inaugural message, inaugural sermon. And this is what he does. He's quoting the book of Isaiah, and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is where? On me. Not in me. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. He's enabled me. He has empowered me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. How did Jesus do what he did? Because the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. Then in Acts 10 verse 38, it says that God anointed or God empowered, God enabled Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. How do we account for the miracles of Jesus? It was because he was anointed with the Holy Spirit And with power, and because God's presence was with him. Now, now no reasonable um, employer would ask their employee, for example, to dig a hole without giving that employee the tools to do the job. Would that be? So Clint, Clint starts his internship um, on, on Tuesday and on the weekend he went and bought a computer. Ooh. Because it's a tool that he needs to do his job. It's just kind of a, it's, it's like a requirement now. In fact, it should be part of um, 
the Human Rights Charter that we should all be entitled to a computer. Sorry, I won't say that the children present and mobile phones and... Uh, No employer would ask an employee to do a job without providing them with the tools. And the same is true for God. When he gives us a task, he gives us the tools to complete the job. And the Holy Spirit is the Christian's primary tool of the trade. The Holy Spirit is the, the Christian's primary tool of the trade. Amen. My dad um, had, had a, a 1954 Rover. You know, I, I don't know if anybody, the beautiful old leather in, um, upholstery on the inside, wooden, beautiful. And I used to love uh, driving that old Rover. But it was like driving a tank. The, you know, it, it was so, it was like... Um, you needed muscles on your muscles to kind of steer this thing because it was so, so heavy and you always felt like you were fighting it to keep, keep, keep it on the road. And then car manufacturers invented something called power steering and it changed everything. So now when you buy a car, generally, you buy a car with power steering. You can... Steer your car with a couple of fingers, can't you, with your finger? Because there's a power there. It's called power-assisted steering. You know, there are, there are Christians still sitting behind the wheel of their life as if they were driving that old rover. And they're fighting in their own strength, trying to build up their resolve to keep this thing on the road and keep their life together. And they don't realise there's such a thing as power-assisted living. Holy Spirit, power-assisted living. You see, the best advice I ever got was the day that I became a Christian. And the people that led me to Jesus after I'd said the sinner's prayer and did all of those things, they, they said, Steve, we want to tell you that don't even try to live the Christian life. It's too hard. I discovered that the Christian life wasn't just too hard. It's impossible. The Christian life is impossible to live without divine assisted power. And the folks that led me to Jesus said, Steve, you need to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I had no idea what they were talking about. I was a young heathen off the street. But I had an encounter with God, with the Holy Spirit, that not only did I know God was living on the inside of me, but something came upon me. And I go astray Whenever I fail to remember that I have a divine assisted power available to me. Can anybody? Yeah, yeah. Good, 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 good. 
You see, the, I don't know what you want to call it, baptism of the Spirit. I like, kind of like the promise of the Spirit. The promise of the Spirit. I kind of like that term. The promised Holy Spirit is the power that gives us the capacity to do the job we've been invited by God to do. And whatever contribution that you've been called to make to see the fulfillment of the Missio Dei, God has given you the resource that you need to do that, or it's at least available for you. And I'll tell you how to get it right at the end of the sermon. Okay? So number one, the Holy Spirit gives us capacity. Secondly, the Holy Spirit empowerment creates curiosity. It says, A crowd came together when they heard the sound, and they were bewildered because each of them heard their own language being spoken. And the crowd was really amazed. The crowd were amazed and bewildered. They asked one another, what does this mean? You see, there was an unchurched crowd in Jerusalem who were intrigued by what they saw and what they heard in the lives of those who had just been baptised or empowered by the Spirit. There was something happening that grabbed their attention. Now, here is a radical thing. Throughout the, the, New, the New Testament, the gospel is only ever preached or presented in response to a question. When I, when I, when I was told that, I didn't believe it. I actually didn't believe it. And then when you go through the Bible, what you discover is that the only time that the gospel is preached or presented is actually in response to a question. And questions emerge from people's curiosity. You know, when somebody says to you, can you ex please explain to me why you cooked that meal and you brought it over to me when I was sick? That was so kind. What, what prompted you to do that? What prompted you to make that phone call that was just so timely? I just needed to hear that advice. What, what was it that prompted you to do that? Or... How, how were you able to forgive that offence? Well, how did you manage to stay joyful in such difficult circumstances? Or how come you are not the person you once were? When, when Lou and I were just in the UK, I caught up with a friend of mine, Ken, who knew me as a 17 or 18-year-old. It was when I was at my very worst and Lou and I sat together with him and his wife and he said, Stephen, how come you are not the same person that you once were? Curiosity. And I was able to present the gospel to him in response to a question. Number three, the Holy Spirit gives us the power to cope with criticism. It says, but some people in the crowd made fun of the believers. They had, they've had too much wine, they said. Then Peter stood up with the 11 apostles. In a loud voice, he spoke to the crowd. My fellow Jews, he said, to, he said, let me explain this to you. All of you who live in Jerusalem, listen carefully to what I say. You think these people are drunk, but they aren't. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. No, here, this is what's 
going on. Okay, sounds like we've had some drinkers early morning this morning. <laughs> whenever, whenever you step out in ministry, whenever you line yourself with the, the Missio Day, whenever you seek to do something of value for God, you're going to face some form of opposition. It's going to happen. Just, just the way that it is. See, not everyone is as necessarily open to the gospel or is desirous to see the kingdom of God come. And people will question your message, they'll question your methods, or they'll question your motive. And here when uh, Peter is challenged and he's being critiqued, he just responds graciously. The Spirit empowered him and the Spirit empowers us to be kind to our detractors, and to give a reasonable response. Number four, I've only got 12 more points to go. It says the Holy Spirit, I've got here, the Holy Spirit gives us power to communicate with clarity. It says the crowd were really amazed. They asked, aren't all these people who are speaking Galileans? Then why do we each hear them speaking in our own native language? We are Parthians, Medes, and Elamites. We live in Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia. Every time I read Cappadocia, I feel like ordering a pizza. Uh, we are from Pontus, and I think about that. Asia, uh, Phrygia, and Pamphylia. And other, others of us are from Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene. Still others are visitors from Rome. Some are visit, uh, of the visitors are Jews. Others have accepted the Jewish faith. Also, Cretans and Arabs are here. It's a mixed bag. Yet we hear all these people, people speaking about God's wonders in our own language. Now, if you were to ask me what is the core of the baptism of the Holy Spirit or the promise of the Spirit, I believe it's this, that the Holy Spirit empowers us to communicate in ways that people who don't know Jesus can understand. You know what? So often in the church, we just don't make any sense whatsoever. Our terminology, our methodology, our lack of technology are completely irrelevant to our audience. We're talking, we're communicating, and we're wondering why no one is listening. It is the church's responsibility to be culturally relevant. You know, Wycliffe our Bible translators are, fant are a fantastic ministry. They work tirelessly to give unreached people groups a translation of the Bible in their own language. And I believe that we in the West should work as tirelessly to make sure that our lives are readable to the unreached people who live around us. Because we are the only Bibles that some people will ever read. They're not going to pick up one of these, but they will read our lives and what they read should be understandable it should be culturally relevant 
to the world in which we live. You know, when Paul the Apostle uh, was uh, preaching the gospel in Athens, you know what he did? He didn't quote the Bible. He quoted Greek poets because that's what his audience understood. That's what re- it was a starting point for them. We have this glorious, unchanging message called the gospel of the kingdom of God. But we need to adapt our methods, our style, our language, our music, our technology. Everything needs to be designed to be reflective of the world in which we live. The way we dress, what we do with our hair, if we have hair. So why do we as a church do something called Invitation Sunday, where we kind of preach the gospel in ways that are relevant, you know, and use terminology? Why do we, why do, we do Sunday seminars? Which is kind of, can appear a little bit kind of secular. Why do we do Christian basics? We've got this theme, or sorry, this uh, rhythm that we have. Starts with Invitation Sunday, then Sunday Seminars, and then Christian Basics, and then we do the deeper series which we're doing right now where we pack the Bible in depth. But why do we do those other things to begin with? It's because we're trying to work so hard as a church to communicate in a language in ways that are relevant to the community that we're a part of. I don't know what to do because I've got three other points and I'm not going to get through them probably before 11.30. So, All right. The Holy Spirit enables us to convict but not to condemn. Convict but not to condemn. Acts 2.37. It tells us that Peter's message had a deep uh, effect on the crowd. And when we speak under the power of the Holy Spirit, it brings conviction, but not condemnation. And Christianity is so often rejected by the world that we're part of because we come across as being so darn judgmental. Now, we need to speak truth, but in a way that brings Conviction, And when something is preached or spoken or communicated under the power and the influence of the Holy Spirit, it brings conviction but not condemnation. If you're condemning people, can I tell you, you are not being empowered by the Holy Spirit. If you're judgmental, can I just tell you, can I just be honest with you without condemning you? In that moment of communicating condemnation, God's not in that. Sorry, God's not in that. Number six, the Holy Spirit gives us courage. Peter stood up with the 11 apostles and in a loud voice he spoke to the crowd. 
Up until this point, Peter had been a coward. He'd denied Jesus just a couple of months back. He'd lost his confidence and went back to, to fishing. Then he'd find him hiding in fear uh, with the rest of the apostles out of fear of the Jewish um, leaders. And yet when the Holy Spirit comes upon him on the day of Pentecost, he says that he stood up. He stood up. And when the Holy Spirit empowers you, it empowers you to stand up for Jesus. It gives you a confidence and a boldness and an authority that's not there when the Spirit is not there. And number seven, the Holy Spirit empowers us to create community. This is kind of a beautiful place to land. You see, the Holy Spirit always leads to the building of community. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is part of the Trinitarian community. Father, Son, Spirit in relationship for all eternity. And you can only reproduce that which you are. And because Holy Spirit is part of that Trinitarian community, the Holy Spirit always brings community life. It's called the church. And as you read through um, uh, Acts 2, 41 to 47... There's a bunch of things there. that This community was a learning community. It was generous. It was engaged in spiritual practices, prayer, communion, and worship. There was joy and amazement because God was doing stuff. Um, they, were, they had the respect of outsiders and there was growth. People were added daily. Now let me land this. Um, Sometime later, after the day of Pentecost in chapter 4, we read a really important verse. You see, the disciples had been facing persecution um, from the religious leaders uh, in Jerusalem, and they were forbidden to preach the gospel. They were forbidden to proclaim or live out the Missio Dei. And so what they did was the disciples, the same disciples that had been present in the upper room, in Acts chapter 2, we're gathered again in Acts chapter 4. Sometime, we don't know how long, but it was after the day of Pentecost. And it says, as after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. Oh, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, I thought they were filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. Well, they were, but they are refilled again in Acts chapter 4. Because when you minister and when you give out and when you engage in the Missio Dei and the mission of God or the work of God, there is a depletion of that power and we need to be filled. Pentecost is not a singular event. Ephesians 5.18 it says, don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living. Instead, be filled with the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And the original Greek text there should be translated, keep on and keep on and keep on being filled. This infilling, this empowering, this baptism, this immersion, this promise of the Spirit is a continuous, ongoing experience and not a one-off encounter. 
So how are we filled with the Holy Spirit? What's the, what's the doorway into that which we've been talking about this morning? It's simple. It's asking. Luke 11, 9 to 13, Jesus said, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? How do we enter into this life of empower, being empowered by the Spirit? we just got to ask. got to ask. We've got to ask. We've got to invite. We've got to invite and we've got to receive.